create a comforting bedtime routine full of those positive sleep associations. So give them a blanket that they love, a pillow that they like, uh, a stuffed animal that they carry around with them all day and uh, bedtime stories, lullabies, that kind of thing. And then pick some things that are special and unique just to bedtime. You know, a book that they don't read, you know, outside of the bedtime routine, make that special for bedtime so that it's reserved for that. And that will create that positive association. Welcome to Dad Splaining, a weekly chronicle of all the weirdest, messiest, grossest, and funniest parts of fatherhood, hosted by two first-time dads. I'm Jesse. And I'm Brandon. And this week, we are going to be revisiting the topic of sleep training. Brandon and I have kids that are now in the two and a half to three years old to a few months past three years old mark, and there are a whole new host of challenges that have cropped up. So we are going to be sharing some tips on how to get your kid to go to sleep, stay asleep, and sleep by themselves. But before we get into all of that, Brandon, if our listeners want to reach out to us with questions, comments, or stories, where can they connect with us? Please give us a like or a follow on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find us at Dadsplaining Podcasts. You can also drop us an email directly, dadsplainingpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can check out this and every episode anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you've been following us on Facebook, you have heard the news. We have started a blog. Yes, officially. sir. You can find us over on Medium at Dadsplaining Podcast over there as well. Please follow along. Exactly. And be sure to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. And if you'd be so kind, if you enjoy the show, if you could leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, maybe write a little review, you know, five to 10 words, whatever you've got time for, that would be a really easy and free way to help us grow and help us connect with more parents all around the world. We post new episodes every Monday-ish. Sometimes it's a little bit later than that. And we record our episodes on Facebook Live. So if you follow us on Facebook, you'll get to actually see us and interact with us live as we record the podcast. And lastly, we've got a parenting group on Facebook. Just search Dadsplaining a parenting group. Send a join request. We will gladly accept you. It's a great place to connect with other parents in a similar phase of life. Ask questions, complain, brag on your kids, or share dumb dad jokes and parenting memes. That's about 90% of what we do. So we would love to have you. On to this week's topic. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to be talking about how to get your toddler to go to sleep and stay asleep. We talked about sleep training, Brandon. I guess it must have been probably two years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. One of the first, uh, one of the first episodes I think that we recorded. Um, and back then, our kids were sleeping in cribs. Um, you know, they had just gotten out of the bassinet phase, so it was it was a different world. And now we're dealing with uh, some fresh challenges of our own. Um, today, I'm going to be referencing an article from VeryWellFamily.com called Teaching Toddlers How to Sleep Alone. It is written by Stephanie Brown, and I'm going to link that episode in the show notes so that you can take some of those tips uh, for yourself. But the reason I picked this uh, topic to talk about is because my son, David, is a little over three years old now, and uh, a few months ago, we transitioned him from the crib to the toddler bed. We had a convertible mm-hmm. bed, so we basically just took the rail off and dropped the mattress down a little bit. And yeah. uh, you know, for the first few months, he loved it. Um, he was very good at just going to bed and staying in bed and it was great. And then eventually something changed. I don't really know what caused this, but he would start waking up in the middle of the night and climbing in bed with us. 
And then it evolved from there into not being able to stay in bed unless one of us was in there with him. So uh, I spent several weeks just lying down on the floor. Eventually, my wife, Ashley, grabbed a yoga mat and gave it to me so I could lay down on that. And I would fall asleep for like an hour until he fell asleep. So it was it was pretty inconvenient. And it's, you know, I'm not the only one who's ever been through that, but it's it's kind of rough. Brandon, um, your yeah. son Noah is, he'll be three in a couple of months, won't he? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're about a month and a half away from three. So just far enough apart where we're not in the same stage. Um, yeah, but close. Yeah, and I think as a point of comparison, like a lot of, you know, uh, people we know who have kids around uh, my son's age, um, you know, maybe slightly younger or slightly older, you know, have also converted into the kind of toddler bed, if you will, where there's not a railing anymore. They can get in and out on their own. We are maybe more on the exception. We have still not even progressed uh, to the toddler bed. He's still in the kind of more common traditional crib setup with the railing and, you know, just providing that kind of perspective of, it just depends on each kid, right? Uh, what they're interested in or not interested in. Like my son loves um, standing up and kind of standing at the railing, but he doesn't, or at least hasn't yet shown any interest in being a daredevil and trying to hop the fence. Um, <laughs> Good for he, you. Yeah, yeah. So we haven't felt like a need to push forward on that because, you know, from our perspective, if we do it, then that just kind of introduces a new environment to him. And then he'll be like, oh, look at the freedom I have. I never thought about getting out of bed, but now I can. It's right there. Um, yeah. So we're kind of doing the wait and see, wait until he, you know, is going crazy and jumping the ship. And then, you know, we can convert and, you know, solve the problem that way. I think that's kind of the, the common reason for a lot of people making the transition is when the kids get to be jumping over the fence, then you remove that element. Um, and kind of mitigate. But if you're in our kind of boat, you don't have to rush into it. Like a lot of things, you know, there's timelines or there's, you know, these these seeming like deadlines that you have to meet of of parenting. And it just doesn't have to be that way. That's just kind of a general guide. So we're pretty happy to kind of keep things maintained as is. Our son really enjoys just kind of sitting in his bed if he wakes up. He'll play with the blankets, he'll play with the pillows. We've gotten to a point where we keep like four or five stuffed animals in the crib mm -hmm. um, and he'll like grab them and play with them. He likes to sing songs to them and things like that. So, I mean, he's he's still pretty uh, comfortable just kind of like chilling and hanging out in the crib if he does get up rather than being like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was kind of the impetus for us to convert was because David had uh, on two separate occasions climbed up over the rail and fallen down on the ground. He didn't hurt himself either time, but obviously it was very scary and he cried and and kids can injure themselves that way. Um, so that was kind of what drove it. And Brandon, you're touching on something that actually this article talks about, which is sleep associations. And this is something that, I mean, it starts at birth and it just kind of evolves as the kid grows and evolves. But we're talking about things that can be objects, activities, routines, or just uh, the environment that a kid associates with bedtime and how and when they go to sleep. You know, things like having stuffed animals in the bed with them, things like hearing a certain lullaby or hearing a bedtime story, um, having you know, the lights down to a certain amount, maybe having night lights on that kind of thing. Consistency is important there from what I understand. Uh, and so the article that we're going to be talking about, again, teaching toddlers how to sleep alone. Uh, first, before it goes into the tips, it breaks down 
the difference between positive and negative uh, sleep associations. So, you know, unintentionally, you might be reinforcing negative sleep associations with your kid, not you specifically, Brandon, but you, the listener, you, the royal you, as it were. Things like, uh, and this is just a minor note, but giving a kid a glass of warm milk before bed is nice, but that might be uh, too many calories, you know, which converts to energy, which could be keeping them up. And a, a side effect also, if you're going through potty training, is that gives them a little something extra in the tank, which might wake them up in the middle of the night or, or make them wet the bed. But one major negative sleep association, at least negative, according to this article is sleeping in the same room as the kid, uh, which, mm. you know, there's nothing terribly wrong with it. A lot of families do the co-sleeping thing for a long time. And I mean, historically, that was the situation like that was the norm for years and years until kids got to have their own bedrooms, but it can kind of throw kids off in terms of their sleep schedule. So from what I'm reading, toddlers starting at age two need anywhere from 10 to 13 hours of sleep a night. And it kind of mm -hmm. depends on their age as they get older, it becomes less. And when you're having your kids sleep in the bed with you, they kind of adapt to your sleep schedule uh, or vice versa. You know, they stay up mm -hmm. late until you're ready to go to bed or you end up going to bed early so that they can go to sleep. And then they get woken up by you waking up and stirring when you get up for work in the morning. Oh. So, you know, that's actually one issue that we've run into uh, just in the past week is that David will i mean before he was waking up in the middle of the night like 3 a.m and climbing in bed with us lately it's been refusing to go to bed and running past us down the stairs when we try <laughs> and tuck him in to climb into our bed um mm. and the past couple of nights we've just kind of given in and, and let him do it but it's you know it can have uh some negative side effects um but they talk about positive sleep associations too um things like giving them, like you said, a certain stuffed animal, maybe a few stuffed animals, uh, maybe a favorite warm blanket, maybe a favorite book, that kind of thing. Um, things that when they're done consistently and repeatedly get them comfortable with the idea of going to bed uh, and even kind of looking forward to it when there's a positive yeah. association with it. Um, has any of that kind of ring true for you, Brandon? Yeah. I mean, I, I probably take it for granted, but like we, we do, if I think about it, have like a really rock solid, consistent, we do not let it change bedtime routine. And it dates back to the beginning of sleep training, really, and just adapts slightly to the age, right? So it's it's the original bath bottle bed is what we used to kind of refer to it when he was, you know, an, an infant. And he was always doing the bath to get you kind of ready for, okay, we're going to do bath and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this. And then it's nighttime. So give them like the plan, right? And it's yeah. and it, like, you know, it becomes like a half hour to an hour time period where this is the nighttime routine. So having a routine, totally 100% all in on the value of it mm -hmm. and then tweak it from there. So like the bottle goes away. So it becomes bath, books, bed. And so we read a book every night or several mm -hmm. and we've stuck to that pretty much to this day. So it's the same where for us, at least around seven o'clock ish, we say like, okay, we're about to do bath time. And then we go upstairs in our case, we go to the bath, we do that spiel. Then we tell them, okay, now it's time to go get dressed for bed and do books. And so we go sit in the chair, we read, you know, a number of books, usually three to five. Like if that sounds too specific, like, <laughs> the timing does matter because you mm -hmm. can't just let them read books for an hour because they might. Yeah. So again, like there's little layers of the fact where you you have the consistency of this so that you can set the rules that you then adhere to. Because if we, 
didn't hold firm. And if we let him read 20 books, he probably would, right? You got to keep yeah. the ball moving. So we read mm -hmm. a couple of books. And then as of maybe a couple of months ago, we do potty as well. So we try to do potty before bed. Mm -hmm. And that can be a nice way, again, to adapt and squeeze in. Okay, you're doing potty training. Squeeze the potty time into the bed routine as well. And he's most consistent with potty at night because, again, it's part of the plan. It's what we do. Mm -hmm. So you go to the potty. You read another book or two while you're on the potty. Then we do, uh, for us, we close it out with nighttime songs. Mm -hmm. And so that's just, again, you can adapt and put in whatever piece you want, but like knowing what the pieces are and always delivering on those pieces. And every night we have to verbally say like, next up is songs. Like we're talking him through the process. Doesn't matter how long he's been doing this. We yeah. need to keep reminding him because mm -hmm. I mean, in one point it's the consistency, but it's also to be fair, the idle threat of like, this is what, <laughs> yeah. this is what comes next. Yeah. And some nights he's, you know, not on board with the plan. He doesn't want to follow it. He's too hyper. Uh, he doesn't want to do songs or he wants to read another book or whatever. And so, you know, the area where you can then use that to your advantage again is the consistency is say like, okay, if you don't want to do song, we're going straight to bed. Mm -hmm. So again, you're just following the plan. Like it's not just a, th you know, a threat for the sake of it. It's like, this is a part of the process. If you skip a part, you move on to the next piece and it always ends with bedtime. And so I think that works because it puts you know, our son at ease with the consistency, like we we're talking about, it's a clear plan. He enjoys most of the pieces <laughs> of mm -hmm. like reading the books and doing the songs. And then like, I don't think about this as a step, but when we put him down, you know, he's usually still a little hyper. And part of what we do is we say, okay, you've got to lay down, you know, to go to bed, you've got to actually lay down on the pillow, lay flat, and then we'll put your blankets on you. So mm -hmm. like we kind of, we, we dangle that as well of like, once you lay down, I'll give you the blankets that, uh -huh. that, that, that adds a little weight right now at winter time when it's mm -hmm. cold. Yeah. Because, well, again, it's like, this is the process. Cause after he lays down, we leave the room and mm -hmm. he knows this. And so he's going to stall and try to engage us as much as possible. So we, we dangle that as well. And we say, okay, if you're not going to lay down, we're not going to give you the blankets. I'm going to leave the blankets right here. You can get them yourself. We're leaving. There you go. And that just nice. kind of like, so there's a lot of checks along the way. Mm -hmm. It's very consistent. You have a process and there's moments along the way where you can kind of push them down the process, you know, deny, you know, stall tactics along the way and kind of give yourself some outs. And it's generally been an effective strategy. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the routine is a big part of it, giving them that consistency. So what I've done here is I've taken uh, a lot of the tips that this article has shared, and I've spread them out into a 10 step checklist that you can follow night after night uh, over the period of however long it takes to get them trained on the idea of sleeping in their own bed, getting to sleep, staying asleep, that kind of thing. So number one, right off the top, uh, you've got to make sure that you're on the same page with your partner and that you are a united front in enforcing the rules that you're setting up. Kids can figure out pretty quickly if one parent is going to be more of a softy about it than the other. That's natural. It's going to happen. But, you know, try and organize and strategize with your partner so that uh, you're both playing the role of enforcer. And uh, I mean, gentle, kind caring, loving enforcer, but enforcer all the same. So step two, they say, be consistent and establish authority. So you've got to be kind and loving about it, but you have to make it clear that you're the one in charge of making the decision. You know, you're the one who says, 
you can sleep in this bed, you can go to bed here, you can't get up, you can't go sleep wherever you want. You know, mm -hmm. um, you got to be the one in control there. Um, you have to be that authority figure. Step three, keep the lights down low, keep your voices low and slow. Even when you are in the process of enforcing those rules and bringing them back to bed after they've climbed out, don't raise your voice. Don't get mm -hmm. excited. Don't talk fast. Don't talk a lot. You want to make sure that the mood is nice and mellow, and that is going to be key. Step four is all about the routine. Create a comforting bedtime routine full of those positive sleep associations. So give them a blanket that they love, a pillow that they like, uh, mm -hmm. a stuffed animal that they carry around with them all day, and uh, bedtime stories, lullabies, that kind of thing. And then pick some things that are special and unique just to bedtime. You know, a book that they don't read you know, outside of the mm -hmm. bedtime routine, make that special for bedtime so that it's reserved for that. And that will create that positive association. This is a good one because we, we talked about a different episode about books and reading and things like that. We have a dedicated stack of books in the bedroom mm -hmm. and we don't play in the bedroom really uh, hardly ever. So it's really for bedtime. We go in there. And so that kind of becomes like the bedtime books and we read them all the all the time he's familiar with them so every time we go in there we're like okay pick out your books he's generally you know read every single book in there many many times over and i think you know you refresh the pile maybe every you know month or so it doesn't have to change that frequently because again it's those are like the bedtime books these are your choices and same kind of like we did songs like i talked about we have a handful of bedtime songs they're always the same kinds of songs you can choose mm -hmm. from a couple of them but it's always the same yeah exactly and you said choices and that is exactly what step five is give them choices within that established framework so it's not a choice of which bed do you want to sleep in or what time do you want to go to bed but it's a choice of which pajamas do you want to wear tonight which book do you want to read tonight? Which song do you want to sing tonight? So give them the sense that there are some things that they can control, even though they're not the ultimate authority on the situation. At the same time, keep those options limited. Uh, you don't want to give your kid choice paralysis, you know, like uh, going to the supermarket and figuring out which of 1000 different brands of toilet paper to buy, you know, give them two or three different options for pajamas, two or three different options for a book that is going to give them the sense that they have a role to play in the process and that they are in control a little bit and it helps them feel older, you know, and and more mature as they're kind of growing up, you know, like they're not a baby anymore. But at the same time, it allows you to stay in control sort of ultimately of the situation. Um, yeah, we, um, we get into trouble with the choice paralysis because there's uh -huh. more than there's usually more than two choices. And something that we kind of run into a little more now is like we give him two choices and he's like, I want another option. Like my son can say enough that he will literally say that. Wow. Uh, and it's okay. just like, I want another one or something uh -huh. like that. And you're like, you want to just feel like you can just pick another one and like that's going to be the one. Mm -hmm. Almost never is that one the one. It, it, you have to really kind of be pessimistic to an extent uh, with your bedtime routine because it's it's a savage process. Uh, it's a wild <laughs> it's a wild animal that you're trying. You're to going tame. to war, man. It's a wild animal that you're trying to tame, and everything is a stall tactic. My son learned many months ago that he, every checkpoint I talked about is an individual moment he can try to stall. So it's good to have the stages you can go through because you're progressing them. But those are also a lot of those are also individual moments for them to stall. So sometimes if you give two choices, I think that's a good approach to start. Hopefully they pick one. Maybe mm -hmm. you can dip in for a third choice. But at some point we have to kind of shut it down and be like, OK, these are your only choices. You have to pick one of these. Yep, that's exactly. That, you can pick this one or this one, but these are our only choices or mm -hmm. 
use some truth and maybe you fudge it a little bit of like, oh, you want that shirt? That shirt's dirty. You just wore it the other day. Yeah. I have to clean it. I'll clean it tomorrow. You know, something mm -hmm. like that to throw in there. Because the, the analysis paralysis can backfire. You got to be cautious if your kid's a little too sly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's a good tool and a good skill to really build in other areas of their life and their daily routine too. Like every morning, uh, I'll pick two shirts out of the closet and I'll hold them up to David and I'll say, which shirt do you want? And he really enjoys, you know, looking back and forth and pointing to one and saying this one. And, you know, I'm not just letting him pick any shirt that he wants to wear, but, you know, given a limited set of options, it helps. It helps to have you to help your kid kind of feel sort of secure and again, in control, even though you're ultimately in control and it's kind of an illusion sometimes, like you said. Okay. So number six, this is for when uh, the kid tries to diverge from the routine. When they try and get out of bed, the step is to be calm and persistent to enforce the routine over and over again. Don't give up. Don't let up until it kicks in, until it clicks. So what this takes is the first time they get out of bed, calmly pick them up, carry them back to their room, lay them down in bed. Don't talk a lot at that stage. They say, don't use a lot of words. Sometimes maybe don't even say anything. Just lay them back in bed, reinforce that rule, and then separate again. If it happens again, pick them up, do the same thing over again. Don't get on to them. Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't give them a lecture because you don't want to stimulate them and keep their brain going. You want to reinforce the calmness of the situation, um, but be persistent and don't give up. Take as many times as it takes. Now, number seven is uh, kind of not an exception to that, but something that kind of may help wean them off of having you in the room with them. That kind of thing is mm -hmm to maybe get a chair, put it in the bedroom with them and sit in that chair. And when you put them to bed, tell them only tell them once, but tell them I'm going to sit right here until you fall asleep. I'm not far away. I'm right here. I can watch you, but then don't let them get out of bed and don't get into the bed with them. If they are sleeping, you know, in their own bed, that will let them feel at least that they're in the room with you. And that's a, a good sense of security there. And that only has to last really a few weeks until they get used to the idea. Mm -hmm. In theory, I'm not saying that this has worked for me because I haven't even gotten to the stage yet. But in theory, according to this article, it should only take really a few weeks for them to get used to that idea. Um, so that's the challenge we're going through right now is that David won't fall asleep unless one of us are in the room with him. Um, yeah. Brandon, is Noah, he, is he sleeping all by himself in the room, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's pretty good about like being solo and kind of detaching in a sense like he will extend as long as you let him on mm -hmm. the going to bed part of that routine and like my wife and i have had to like divide up the bedtime routine that i talked about because a it's lengthy and b because he'll let it extend as much as possible and if if i were to just do it solo it'd be an hour plus process every single night yeah. from beginning of bath to hitting the pillow it's usually mm -hmm. like starts at seven with bath he's in the bed by eight o'clock. Like it's a full hours process, sometimes more depending on how much stalling is back and forth, depending on how long the potty takes. Cause that's a really like unknown variable every night. Oh yeah. So like we divide it up. Um, one of us does bath and then the other one does the books and uh, the nighttime routine. So I, I throw that in as well. If you're feeling like it's a really long drawn out process, if you can get the consistency and let it work, go for it and try to divide up the work if you can. 
I think that's a good tip. And then like, if they're struggling with the sleeping, we're fortunate. It doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes Noah doesn't go to sleep, you know, right away. And sometimes most of the time, even then he'll fall asleep eventually. Uh, but sometimes he'll need water or whatever. Um, so we, we do pretty much what you talked about. We keep it chill. We'll go back in there. If after like 10 minutes, he's clearly not falling asleep um, and be like, do a water check or fix the blankets or whatever. But I tend to the, the like limited communication you were talking about, I tend to find it helpful to reinforce the routine again, verbally to mm -hmm. them and be like, okay, it's nighttime. It's dark outside. We did our books. We did our songs. It's time to lay down, you know, just like a reminder of like, you went through the routine. You got everything that you're supposed to get. I gave you the water, yada, yada. Like, you know, you don't have to say a lot, but you can kind of reinforce again. Yeah. Like we're following the plan. It is bedtime. This is what mm -hmm. you do at the end of the night. We're all on the same page here, like including them in the like, we did the process. Great job. Mm hmm. Exactly. And this is something that I've, uh, we've talked about before on the podcast, but that consistency night after night um, is actually good for them. And it's good for their development, because even if it's something that uh, is frustrating for them, you know, having to stick to these rules and sleep in a bed by themselves, they're going to learn the consistency, they're going to learn that you mean what you say, and you're going to follow through on your promises. So that when it time comes time for you to say, I'm just down the hall, if you need me, they can believe you and they can rely on that because you've proven it night after night by saying what you're going to do and then doing what you say. So I kind of accidentally combined tips seven and eight into one, which is sitting in the room with them for a few minutes, if that's what it takes, and then telling them that and not talking very much after that work on those do them together you know if they're if they're necessary um step nine is to repeat that process by the book every night they say for one to two weeks it should click after that but every kid is different um yeah. i know for a fact that once i implement these the way they're telling me to it's definitely going to take more than two weeks uh for david because he is just so attached to the idea of having at least one of us in the room with him as he falls asleep so it's going to be kind of tough but uh the the idea there is don't give up and don't get weary. It's going to be rough. But if you do it time after time, and you keep repeating it, it is going to work. So once it gets to that place where they can fall asleep in the room, and they've been doing this for a few weeks, even if you're sitting in there uh, in the room with them, step 10, that's when you're ready to step out of the room. And that's when you're ready to after a few weeks, lay them down, put them in bed and say, we're just down the hall or we're just downstairs or, you know, whatever it is in your house. Um, if you need us, that's where we are. And at that point, they've learned that they can rely on you and it mm -hmm. should work. And if it doesn't, if they keep getting up, just go back to step six and keep reinforcing it and keep calmly, lovingly, quietly putting them back to bed. So all of this sounds pretty ironclad. I know for sure that it's not. I know for sure that it's uh, just flat out not going to work for some people because every kid is different and some of them have unique developmental challenges and they develop at different stages and ages. Um, but I'm hoping uh, for all of y'all listening that this is at least a rough guy that you can pull some tips from and mm -hmm. that you can maybe draw a little bit of uh, assurance from that there is a light at the end of the tunnel if you are staying up all night trying to get your kid to fall asleep. Um, or if uh, this was the case for us last night, he climbed into bed with us and then spent all night kicking my wife in the kidneys in his sleep so that she was super sore when she woke up. Uh, my poor wife, what a saint. Oh so yeah, it's it's there. It's going to get better. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. And we are right there in the thick of it with you. You're going to get through this. 
So that'll do it for this week's topic. Uh, if you have questions uh, or additional tips uh, or stories that you want to share kind of on the subject, be sure to reach out to us, send us a message, send us an email, dadsplainingpodcast at gmail.com because we would love to hear from you. So Brandon, before we close out today, I want to catch up. How are things going in the Spears house this week? Things are going pretty well with uh, with Noah, the little guy and the fam and everything. We're coming up on the big birthday number three in about a month and a half. I just had my birthday, self-spoiler. Yeah, happy belated. <laughs> but right, but right the day before we recorded this. Uh-huh. Uh, thank you. But yeah, I think, um, you know, we've had a lot of uh, trouble. and We've talked about a lot of trouble with eating and food and things like that. We've been having some more, more successes than misses lately. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. But something that is amusing that we do that I feel like maybe other people could, could latch onto is uh, I, I know when I was growing up, I didn't like fruit much, but I would eat, say, like sliced apples you know, where you took the skin off and you just had the slices and then you put some peanut butter on that. And like, I obviously just wanted the peanut butter. Right. Uh, but that was a way to get in there. And that's, that's how he worked. And guess what works? It works for my kid too. Uh, okay. he actually will eat just the apple slices without the peanut butter having to be on them. But we found out that he will eat strawberries. If you cut them up and you put Nutella on them, Ooh, who wouldn't um, though? I mean, who wouldn't, right? Of course. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're like me and you just want him to eat fruit, period, I'll try to offer up apple slices because he's shown that he'll eat those or what we refer to it as strawberries and chocolate butter. Chocolate butter. Okay. (laughs) That's what we call Nutella because Nutella Uh means nothing to them. But chocolate butter, chocolate butter is a very clear sign. It's delicious. Uh It's chocolate. It's like butter because you put it on things. Mm -hmm. And the, the secret for the parent then is just by saying you're going to do it, you know, you're, you follow through, but you can put the tiniest amount on, and my son will eat them. Uh-huh. So at least for him, it doesn't have to be dipped in it. We can put a tiny sliver of Nutella on each piece and he'll gobble the whole thing up. So nice little bits of success where you can find them, uh, get creative, come up with silly names um, uh-huh. that appeal to the obviousness of what they want, like chocolate and butter that worked for us. Beautiful. How's it been going for you guys, Jesse? It's been going all right. Um, so as I mentioned, the whole reason for this episode is we're still struggling with the sleep training thing. Uh, we're in the middle of potty training. He's doing pretty well with that, actually. And, uh, you know, and dinner time is still a struggle getting him to eat what we put on the plate in front of him. Um, but, you know, it's getting better. He's not, uh, you know, unhealthy as a result of it, thankfully. So yep. um, we're just kind of taking that as it comes. Uh, the big cool development this week is I'm going to play uh, some sound for you and uh, I'll let mm. you see the video as well. David uh, read his first words this week. Hey, um, right. which it, it's super cool because, you know, he's only three years old, um, but he's still kind of in the stage where he's talking like he talks. He can make sentences and stuff, but he's not super duper verbal. Um, mm-hmm. So this was really neat. David, read it. What does it say? T-A-D-D-Y. Daddy. Yay! Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I'll, I'll admit that that was not the first one he read. He read Mama first, so she gets Ooh. she deserves the credit. But I wasn't recording at that point, so... This is dad splitting, Jesse. We don't need exactly, to hear that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, just a super proud moment for a, for a That's parent. That's great. To, uh, to yeah. Kind of do something like that. So, it, you know, just felt like bragging on my kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Props to little man. Oh, yeah. So uh, on that note, we will close out the podcast for today. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for listening. Brandon, between this week and next week, once again, where can folks find us if they want to connect online? 
Please give us a like or a follow on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Dadsplaining Podcasts. You can connect with us directly at dadsplainingpodcast at gmail.com. And you can check out this and every episode anywhere you get your podcasts. And as we gave the spoilers to at the beginning of the episode, we are now blogging over on Medium. Dadsplaining Podcast over there as well. Please give us a like and a follow and share any of our blogs along with the podcasts. Oh yeah, we would greatly appreciate it. And again, we do have a parenting group. Search Dadsplaining a parenting group and subscribe to us uh, on your favorite podcasting app. I'm going to include links to everything we just talked about in the show notes of this episode as well as link the article we talked about today. And we will leave you with that. Next week, we are hoping to have a guest on the show as an old friend of mine named Paul. He is a father of two. Uh, He has two toddlers right now. And he is going to be talking to us about the unique challenges and the unique joys of raising two little girls at once. So tune in for that next week. Should be a lot of fun. And until then, I'm Jesse. And I'm Brandon. And hey, Brandon, what do you call a snake that's 3.14 feet long? Snake pie. Mm-mm. A python. Ah, there it is. <laughs> I stole that from Reddit. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next time. The advice and opinions expressed on Dadsplaining are solely those of its hosts and guests and should not be substituted for the advice of professionals. If you have a serious concern about the health or development of your child, please consult with your pediatrician. If you're experiencing an emergency, please call 911. Don't listen to us. We're really just good for dad jokes. If you're enjoying Dad's Planning, you might enjoy this other podcast from our friends here at WSB Radio. Hello, friends. This is Jared Yamamoto from The Power Pod, and we are a weekly recap show where we cover the current events of the week. And of course, during these times, COVID-19 is on everybody's mind. We will cover the good, the bad, and the ugly regarding this crisis. We will be serious with the coronavirus, but we will also find ways to have fun with it as well. So be sure to check us out Saturdays from 11 to noon and Sunday mornings from 9 to 11 on 98.7 FM and AM 1340 WGAU or grab the PowerPod podcast on any of your favorite podcast providers or your favorite smart speaker.